Hello, everybody. Welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. My name's Dave and I'm your host. Now, what we do at Stand Up Tragedy is we invite people to come on to our stage and stand up and do some tragedy. We, we reach out to people in all parts of the arts, comedians, storytellers, spoken word artists, musicians and more. And we say, what does tragedy mean to you? Show us what that is on our stage. Um, so, yeah. Um, and we want to become a, like a safe space to talk about unsafe things. And we like our audiences to cry until they laugh and laugh until they cry so we should expect to feel all the emotions in this room tonight and that's that's cool it's good to feel lots of different kinds of emotions you can get them all in one place here because you see when you're walking down the street uh, a tragedy could happen to you at any time you could be hit by a car struck by lightning and that would be terrible uh, but that would be unexpected whereas tonight we should expect to see some tragedy it's going to happen there's going to be some tragedy on this stage so yeah uh, we're doing standard tragedy here at 7 30 every night all month in Edinburgh. Um, we've got different lineups every single night. So if you like what you see tonight, uh, you should come back another night and you might like that. You might hate it, but you know, you might like it. You don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. This is the exciting thing. I don't know what anyone's going to do tonight. Um, so yes. Um, and we've got some special guest uh, hosts at, at Edinburgh this year. Uh, on Friday, we've got guest host Lucy Ayrton. Uh, and on Saturday, we've got guest host Louise Fazakali, who's going to be one of the people performing tonight. So you get to try before before you buy and if you think she's much better than me come back to that uh, night and she'll be the whole spine of the show so yes um so yes uh, we've got an, another show that we're doing in, in Edinburgh this year as well. We're producing my solo show, which is called What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity. And that's happening at 12.05 every day at Cabaret Voltaire. Uh, and if you think it's sad and tragic in this room, come to that show and it'll be much more sad and tragic. Uh, it's not a comedy. Don't come expecting comedy. But do come expecting a kind of challenging discussion of what it be, is to be a man, how society hurts men, and how men hurt people as a result of society. Uh, had a really great show today, really big audience in, and a lot of people felt a lot of feelings, and it felt quite important. Uh, and it feels weird to say that about your own show, um, but I am saying it because of those people and what they said, and so I feel like I can represent it more strongly because other people like it, because I don't, I don't value myself, you know. <laughs> That'd be weird. Um, so, yeah, I really would love people to come and reach out and tell people about that show. Yes, so this is the sad men section, guys. It's not that exciting, um, but we're going to get on to the actual the meat of the tragedy very, very soon. The last sort of things to say is that uh, we are part of the PBH Free Fringe. I'll talk about that some more later, but basically it's free to come in and see this show. Art that's free at point of contact with the audience is something I believe in very strongly. And we live in, in tragic times. It's hard times for money. Uh, everybody's kind of hard up. And that is, under, so it's a, it's a tragic time in that respect. But it also means that in these tragic times, if you do have money, this is the time when you can make a difference, when you can help support the arts, when the government are not going to fucking do it. So if you want to help to support the arts, consider that. Consider giving some money back at the end. And, you know, on a personal note, I lost my job a couple of years ago and because uh, of the cuts, you know, uh, and I decided to try and make it as an artist. And that's bleak as fuck. And I really need the money because, I mean, Jesus, this is like, you know, if you don't give me the money, then me and my partner might not be able to pay our rent next month. Uh, fun, fun, fun. Tragedy. That's what it's all about. Um, so, yeah. Um, and you can follow the tragedy uh, on Twitter at, at, at Stand Up For Tragedy. You can make friends with the 
after tragedy, the best way to behave towards tragedy uh, on Facebook. And you, if you want to talk about the show, the hashtag is tragic moment. So uh, the next performer we've got is uh, she's well, she's not doing a show, uh, which makes her, you know, unique in this in this city at this moment in time. Uh, she is doing a lot of flyering, though. I see her every morning doing lots of flyering. Uh, so you can fi- you can follow her on Twitter at Roya Shadman. Put your hands together, everyone, for Roya Shadman. Yeah, it gets very wrestling when I introduce people, just at the last minute when people aren't expecting it. Um, hello, everyone. Um, don't follow me on Twitter. It's shit. I don't do anything. Thank you. All right. Um, so, in keeping with the theme of tragedy, um, I am pretty tragic, just like by nature. Um, I actually, when I was 16, I started a blog with my best mate called How to Be Tragic. It was shit, but it was pretty like that in itself was pretty tragic. But um, <laughs> but we have since abandoned that because uh, nobody was reading it. Um, but um, so I'm gonna do. Um, Good. I'm gonna do. <laughs> that was a that was a bookmark. I'm gonna do like three poems, all that I think are quite tragic. The first one. So, you know when you see someone, and you think, "Fuck me," but they don't know that you exist, right? <laughs> and they never will, no matter how hard you try and make them know that you exist, right? That's happened to me. Uh, so this is called "Hey, how you doing?" And um, it's about this guy who literally, I mean, he drives me wild, but uh, he just can never remember who I am. (laughs) So, you know. When you walk into the room, I get hectic. Despite the fact that people make fun of your haircut, I quite like it, and the rest of you. My crazy person brain knows not the meaning of rationality, I just know that I find you fascinating and for some unexplainable reason you make me instantly incomprehensibly wet. Even though we've only spoken a grand total of four times since I met you a year ago and my friend thinks you look like Slender Man. (laughs) I disagree. I think you look like the answer to all of my late night half asleep, wholly unsatisfied prayers detailing unachievable orgasms. I think you're gorgeous. Slender in a good way, and to top it all off, you clearly love eating pussy. Stay with me, everyone. (laughs) I don't mean in the way that a lot of guys say they love eating pussy when actually they'd rather just skip all the foreplay altogether. I mean you clearly love eating pussy. in that weird, messy, kind of slow, but also kind of demonic marathon man kind of way that proves that you really pay attention to everything a girl has to say, which I happen to like in a person, so yeah. You know, you're cool. Got a pretty wicked sense of humor too, and while I'm probably psychotic for being so interested in what is essentially a stranger, and I have embarrassed myself monumentally in front of you on more than one occasion, I feel compelled to approach you whenever you're nearby and say, hey, how you doing? So that's that, um, and thank you, thank you. Uh, that's that, and I think we can all agree that um, my life is ashes. But um, but <laughs> the next one, the next one is about a guy that does know me, and we all know him. Like everybody here has met this guy, has known this guy, has loved this guy. Do you know what I mean? Everybody, you sir, you. Everybody, you. We've all loved him. We've all met him. Uh, his name's Peter Pan, and uh, <laughs> and we all have our own. Um, and he fucked me up like, quite recently. So um, this is about him. God love him. God love him. What a guy. What a guy. Um, <laughs> Peter Pan swoops through the evening air. 
With a mischievous grin and a mass of shaggy golden hair, he does the rounds. Extends his hands to all the lonely late-night dreamer girls with tales of a youth you can afford to misspend because in Never Never Land, your youth never ends. Peter Pan has broken promises resting behind his eyelids. Plays the fool so the sound of Wendy's laughter masks the sound of her disappointment in him. The lost boys are all trying to find themselves now and they keep saying, mate, it's time to sort yourself out. But Peter Pan makes all the lonely late night dreamer girls giggle. Takes his worth from making them feel special for a while. So what is there to fix for one as nihilistic as him? Peter Pan feels everything and believes in nothing. Love is a lie and all poignancy is faked. The only thing not so little Peter knows for sure is that he looks fucking great naked. <laughs> he does. Tinkerbell agrees, and so does Tiger Lily, but even they can see the change in him written all over his face. They both swore that they'd say, but how can you tell, how can you tell the boy who'll never grow up that he needs to act his age? Peter Pan has the smell of cheap red wine permanently lingering on his breath and conveys no irony or melancholy when he states that he's not afraid of death, he'd welcome it if he could. But there's no end of the road for Peter Pan, so he'll just down another bottle and go back to making the lonely late-night dreamer girls giggle. Peter Pan doesn't fight the good fight anymore. Ignores Tink's pleas as if she were a nuisance and takes off into the evening air with an empty grin and a mass of shaggy golden hair. You're breaking my heart, she calls after him. But Peter Pan can't hear her over the sound of his own self-destruction and she knows he'll be no help if the baddies come back to play because now he's almost one of them. Peter Pan won't look back at the mess that he's left because self-awareness is no longer in his interest. For Peter Pan, there's no distinction between virtue and sin, just so long as those lonely late-night dreamer girls keep dreaming of him. Thank you. So I'm Tinkerbell, in case anyone didn't realise. Um, it's literally the only thing that makes me feel better about that situation. Um, <laughs> tiny little fairy. Um, okay, so my last poem um, is probably the most personal poem I've ever written in my life. Um, and I don't really know how to set it up, to be honest. So um, I'm just going to go for it. And uh, this is called She. She doesn't know that I write poetry. I know how strange that sounds considering it's such a big part of me, but I was the girl who grew up getting told to shut up by the rest of the world because other 12-year-olds don't want to talk about poetry. And while I know she'll still be proud of me, she'd only really accept my dreams if there's guaranteed money, it's not her fault. She was raised in an age with a stronger sense of duty, so she just doesn't understand what I mean when I say I'm living life for me now and I love her. Want nothing more some days than to hug her and feel like I came from somewhere loving because I know that she loves me. No matter how good she can be at hiding it, I know I'm the same sometimes. More often than not, I cried myself to sleep at night. She probably did too in the bedroom next to mine, on the opposite side of the universe. Her words roll off a razor-sharp tongue, and I know I'm the same sometimes, but I still feel like mine was forged from a different metal to hers, because even in my most vindictive hours, I hurt myself more than I ever hurt her. My cuts never landed. And the blows she threw back had me feeling so guilty, so guilty I could have sworn that she'd planned the whole thing. We had both been abandoned so many times. But two lions in one den is still enough for a pride that kills all too quickly and I hate that she thinks she can tell me she wishes she'd died all those years ago. She will never know just how much we have in common. Because good girls don't mention things like that. She 
asks why I can't always take the time. It's not that she's not always on my mind, I do it all for her, but I have to do it my way now and no amount of control over me could make up for the years that she lost getting lost amidst other people's dreams. I know that she had dreams too. We are two women too similar to ever see the same things when we sleep and I wonder if she'll regret giving me the name that she did once she realizes that I've got bigger plans for it. I tried to show her so many times, I can't hold it against her. Little girls never want to end up that way. And every time that I dial her number these days, I wonder if I'll tell her that her daughter likes to smoke weed and spends all her time writing poetry that she thought of in her head and that most of it is the sad stuff that she never took seriously. Maybe. Maybe she'll feel me. Maybe she won't. I'm not holding out hope. I couldn't show her this anyway. The stage is the only place I'm allowed to have a heart. I can't show her this. But if I could... I'd look forward to the nights where I could look down with a mic in my hand and see her face. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. That one was about my mum. That one was about my mum and uh, the struggles of, uh, of me. Uh, she wanted me to be a dentist, yeah? And I've got to go home after the fringe because this, this, uh, this fringe has made me want to go to clown school. So I've got, literally, I'm going to go to clown school when I finish uni, yeah? I've decided. So I've now got to go home to my little Iranian mum and be like, Mum, I know you wanted me to be a dentist, but I'm going to clown school. Um, so that's my tragic fucking life. Have a lovely evening, everybody. Thank you for having me. Raya Shadman, everybody! Okay, so right, our next, oh, our next performer, right, I've seen his show earlier today. Uh, it's Armchair Anarchist uh, at 3.45 at the Cowgate Head up to L uh, until the 30th of August. And I, I, saw, I saw his show earlier today and he had like the shittest audience, right? So we've got to be the best audience for him uh, tonight. Um, and also, so he didn't get to do his show. He ended up having an awkward conversation with the audience for a long part of it. And one of the parts of the show that he didn't get to do was uh, the saddest bit. So I was like, someone's dropped out for tonight. Come and do the saddest bit of stand-up tragedy. So hopefully we can give him that good, 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 good moment, that good audience response that he deserved uh, in his show. So everybody, put your hands together for Gabriel Ebulu! Thank you, guys. Um, I feel like shockingly unprepared for this shit. Because um, that was fucking amazing, by the way. That gave me goosebumps and shit. Um, that was fun. Because um, I <laughs> basically, what I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about um, music, uh, politics, and death, right? Three tragic things, right? Music for me is tragic because, like, my favorite artist is Morrissey, right? It's tragic within itself, isn't it? Um, death is just tragic. And politics is tragic because, like, the next five years are going to be hard. <laughs> Because um, of the Tories and shit. I'll talk, I'll talk about that first. Because I've this year, I decided I was going to be like a political person, right? I got this sort of urge because I think everyone one day they see a news story or they hear something and they're like I want to fucking change this. And for me, it was the election, right? I saw the election and I was like, wow, how did this happen, right? Because I, I discovered a lot of things um, during during the last election. I discovered that a lot of people in in the UK, if you go by the results, apparently hate happiness. <laughs> Um, poor people, <laughs> and the NHS, right? I never knew this. I also discovered um, a thing called the Shy Tories. These were the Shy Tories, the guys that made 
the conservative win possible. And for those of you who don't know what a shy Tory is or what a shy Tory does, basically a shy Tory does everything a normal Tory does, but in secret, right? So a shy Tory, just like a normal Tory, will beat a homeless man to death um, with a tin of caviar, right? But only at night, only at night, because he's shy. Um, did they, did they, did anyone vote conservative, by the way? Good. Because um, like, I, I remember seeing the results, right, and just being so shocked what, what happened, right? I had the strongest urge to repeatedly hit my head against the wall. Um, one, because the five years, the next five years are going to be tough. And two, I wanted to injure myself, like a lot, right? And go to the hospital so I could enjoy the NHS one last time. Um, <laughs> that was sad. <laughs> like music, I love music, guys. I'm a big music fan. Uh, music is, is my life. I'm obsessed um, with music, right? To the point where, like, I tend to judge people based on their taste in music, right? So, like, um, and I have quite an eclectic taste. I like different things which tend to confuse people. Like, uh, I, uh, I like uh, different genres. So if I go into a record store and I'm buying some records, the guy will look what I'm buying. He'll be like, this is weird. This guy's buying an album by Black Sabbath. Well, it's got black in the title. <laughs> Maybe he's just confused right now. <laughs> we do that a lot as a society. We, we put people in boxes based solely on stereotypes, right? So people think, oh, if you're, if you're Spanish, you know, you must, you know, eat salsa and, uh, and uh, you know, listen to Spanish shit, right? <laughs> people think, oh, if you're black, you know, you must, you know, eat chicken and uh, listen to hip hop, right? People think, oh, if you're white, you know, you must, you know, steal nations and enslave people. You know, all of the basic <laughs> rudimentary stereotypes. Um, <laughs> That's always been a problem in my life, because I, like I like different things. I don't just like hip-hop and R&B, which is the box I've been put in my whole life. I like different, I'm wearing a black flag t-shirt, right? And if you see me later, I'm wearing, a, I'm wearing a jean jacket and it's got a black flag badge on it, right? And I also have a black flag tattoo, right? And like, people come up to me and they'll see all these things and they'll still be like, do you really like black flag? You know, which is strange, because like when you, when you look at like the, the political history of the world, like not political history, but like the music history of the world, all music sort of stems from the blues, right? And the blues is like a black form of music, you know, despite what Martin McFly will have you believe. Um, <laughs> it is. And that always confused me, because like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, one of my blues heroes is a man called Muddy Waters, right? And he said the greatest thing ever. He said, the blues had a baby, and they named it rock and roll, right? And I love that quote, because it encapsulates the history of modern music in one line, right? The blues had a baby, that ended rock and roll. But I think Mighty Waters is being far too kind to uh, rock and roll there. Because if he was more honest, what he'd actually say was, the blues had a baby, and a white man stole it, right? <laughs> and they named him Elvis. Um, <laughs> now, because um, as far as music goes, I'm quite, is anyone like obsessive about music? Yeah. Like a lot. I, I love it so much that that's the only aspect of my life that I judge people on, right? I don't like that about myself. Like, I, feel, I feel like a class system shouldn't exist, right? It just separates and divides people, right? But a class system is needed in musical taste. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's needed, because like, if there was no class system in musical taste, people who thought Nickelback, right, were a good idea, <laughs> would be walking around thinking they're not scum, right? And that... <laughs> It's not a world I want to live in, right? But at the same time, I don't like that about myself. I judge people, and anything else, I don't like judge people. Like, you are who you are, and that's fucking beautiful, right? When it comes to music, I can't help it. I'll give you an example. I was on a bus 
recently, right? And there was a lady on the bus who was quite drunk, and she was eating a pizza off the floor, right? See, you see? It wasn't even her pizza, right? You've judged her. I saw that, I said, you know what? She's clearly had a very hard day, right? Pizza is fucking delicious. If I hadn't just eaten, I would have joined her. I said, you know what, lady? Be you, just fucking be who you are, right? The same day, a friend of mine I've known for 10 years, I asked him a question, I said, okay, the Beatles or the Stones? He said, uh, neither. I said, fuck you! <laughs> and your mother, with the fire of a thousand sons. Um, <laughs> so I do judge people a lot on, on that. Um, and but my point is, um, the tragedy, now, that was just funny. Uh, the sad stuff is, uh, there's two parts of me, right? Like I just said, there's politics, which is quite new, and there's music, right? And I get both of those sides of me from my dad, right? And my dad recently um, passed away, right? Which is usually a sad thing in your life, but for me, it wasn't when it first happened, right? So when, to give you an example, we had a, quite a strained relationship, me and my dad. And to give you an example of how strange it was, the week he died, right, I was supposed to go to a wedding, right? That I really, really, really didn't want to go to, right? Now, when he passed away, the first thought I had to myself was, I now have the perfect excuse to never go to this wedding. And I'm gonna milk it forever. Just last week, my friend was like, Gabriel, can you help me uh, move house? I really need to move house. I was like, Sam, I would help you um, move house, except it reminds me <laughs> of my father, right? Like I, I pimped his death for sympathy, basically, right? Which is sad, but I don't know if anyone here has lost someone, right? But when you lose someone, whether you love them, whether you hated them, when they go, that's when you realize how important they are to you, right? Because like I said, there's two sides to me, politics and music, I get both of those things from my dad, right? Because my dad was, I get my musical taste from him, he was quite a weird man, he liked to get like, different sort of um, genres and stuff. Like one day, he could be dancing to like Sly Coltrane, Sly Coltrane, Sly and the Family Stone and John Coltrane. Like the next day, he could be like crying to an Elton John song, you know, like, son, she was England's rose. I don't want to say goodbye, like he was a weird, Man, right? <laughs> it was a strange man. Um, but I get my musical taste from him completely, right? And that's one massive part of me, right? And the same with politics, because before, before, I didn't know it when, it was, when he was alive, but because when you have a dad, right, they're either you're Superman or they're a bit lame, right? There's no in-between. And my dad, to me, was a bit lame. But after he died, I realized my dad was a fucking hero. My dad was a fucking revolutionary, right? Because while my dad was alive, he was like a lawyer for like six years and he fucking hated it and he was a corporate lawyer and uh, he didn't like it. So what he did was he opened um, uh, a firm to give immigrants information and like advice to who's seeking asylum in the UK. Basically, my dad was UKIP's worst fucking nightmare, right? <laughs> and I wear that with a badge of honor. Um, but one day I was at school and I wasn't very good at school, by the way, I wasn't a very good uh, student. Um, on this particular occasion, I got excluded after discovering LSD for the first time and I didn't go to school for two months. Um, <laughs> LSD would do that to you, by the way. Like I took, I took two tabs, I was like, oh, this is all bullshit. <laughs> and I went to dance in the field. Um, so I got excluded, right? And I had to go, I had to, go to, to um, instead of going to school, I went to work with my dad. And this couple from Afghanistan came in and they were like thanking my dad a lot. Like your dad is a hero, you little man, your dad's a fucking hero. And I, in my little kid brain, I was thinking, no, he's not. Like he cries Elwyn John songs. He has a signed, like an autographed picture of Neil Diamond <laughs> above my baby picture. Like he's a weird, he's a strange man, right? 
But then my mum told me a story at his funeral, right? A story she never told me. It was uh, around the time of 9-11, um, like the NF and uh, the EDL would like attack immigration centers because uh, people look different to them, right? And my dad, along with some friends, they linked arms and they stopped them from coming in. Like my dad was a hero. My dad was a revolutionary. And I think my sort of recent verge into like politics and stuff is my strange way of like becoming closer to him in a weird way, right? Because while I see like he didn't love us very much, he didn't show us a lot of love, he had love in him. And in a weird way, that's enough, right? And uh, like, I mean, I can forgive him for like a lot of things, you know, like the alcoholism, like emotional distance and stuff. I'll never forgive him for making me listen to Donny Osmond's greatest hits <laughs> more than once, right? But I can forgive him, I can see the love in him. And I think that's why I am no longer a sort of armchair anarchist. Um, so yeah, that's it. Um, nine seconds left. Come see my show, come see my show, come see my show. It's at the Cowgate Head a quarter to four for the next three days. Like he said, today was fucking horrible, right? So like if you enjoyed it, like you was, I want to cut myself. But like, if you enjoyed it, my show, like there's some of it in the show and come see my show. I'm Gabriel Blue. Thank you very much. Gabriella Bulu, everybody. Okay. Right, so our next performer, she's doing a show called Love is a Battlefield slash Council House Poetry until the 29th of August at 2.15 at Clark's Bar. Put your hands together, everyone, for Louise for Zachary! Hello. Um, I'd like to um, regale you with some um, sad poetry. <laughs> um, I thought tragic, uh, like tragic with a, a small T, uh, like little sad things. Um, I wrote this poem after going to Fleetwood, which is um, a little sad place, <laughs> uh, just north of Blackpool. And um, when I first went to Fleetwood, um, I noticed the first thing I noticed was the seagulls in the sky, and there was loads and loads of them. I thought, oh, they're so beautiful. Oh, I'm going to write a poem about how beautiful the seagulls are dancing, and the people of Fleetwood will love this. And then when I did my research and went to interview all the people of Fleetwood, like I had to do for the job, uh, they were like, no, <laughs> we ain't the seagulls are horrible um, so, <laughs> um, so um, I've got three poems that are kind of about absence and this is the, the, um, the Fleetwood um, poem and um, just as an addendum um, I read a poem by Caroline Duffy about a, a crow falling in love with a scarecrow so it's kind of like after that really this is the seagull and the woman a woman's husband went trawling for cod she had no kids and worked gutting fish. Every dusk she watched and wished on the shore, and a seagull fell in love with her. Aw, caca! At first, the woman didn't notice him. He left his white and black calling card. She still didn't notice him. He squawked his mate. They flew a show, aerial theatre, a courting dance, and he brought her crumbs from the courting cake at the Not End Cafe. You can take the ferry with me anytime, love. Ah, caca! You're so small, laughed the woman. Her, uh, her, her, black as eyes with a feather tuft of grey. And so the seagulls saw what men ate. Chip burns from bins and he grew big and the woman fed him scraps. You're so tame, laughed the woman. 
her nose like the prow of the bow, perfumed hands, and the seagull saw the kids in prams she smiled at. Watch me, I am wild and free like a man. And he dared to steal the ice cream from their hands, and the woman fed him scraps. Her husband never came home. Search for him, pleaded the woman, and waited and waited till the seagull came home. Follow me and look for yourself. Follow me and be free. And she followed the seagull to the top of the steps and the light from the lighthouse was a moon. She flew. And now in Fleetwood, people say, the seagulls are too big. One ate the cat food. One tried to eat the rabbit from the hutch. These seagulls are large and unnaturally butch. But occasionally, one will sit on a fence and gaze at a woman out pegging her washing and the woman knows the seagull loves her and she thinks about taking sheets as wings. Um, these next two poems are from my show, Lovers of Battlefield. One half is Councillor's Poetry, which is a bit raucous and voices from Benefit Street. Uh, Jackie Hagen will be guesting tomorrow. I've got a special guest every day. Um, and um, the second half is from Love is a Battlefield, which is my B BBC Radio 3 commission, which in part I got due to this show because I sent the podcast in as part of my application. Um, so um, this is about when my partner come back from Afghanistan and it's about mental health and, you know, all the cheery stuff. Uh, <laughs> there's funny bits in the show, just three. Um, <laughs> this is Weather Report. Were the snow globe in summer? Were the sand globe in winter? At night, the temperature drops. I curl round him to keep him warm. He's like a corpse. There's no response. It's cluttered in here, in this headfuck dome. This unwanted gift from his little trip abroad. The day and the night of the, the turn of the glass globe. A glass tent. Standard army issue. They give them to soldiers like soldiers throwing sweets to kids. At night, the temperature drops. Like nowhere else in the world, Afghanistan, like nowhere else in the world. He sleeps with his boots on and shakes like a feral dog. Call it doll's house. Call it fish tank. Call it home sweet home. It's cluttered in here with broken things. A limb has bent at the elbow and punched a light socket in the front room. The crack in the plastic is the shape of lightning. When a, mine when a mine shaft collapses, it leaves the same shape in the earth as a punch in a chipboard door. The baby gate thrown down the stairs, the golf clubs wrapped round trees, the window put through. Glass to glass, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. His throat's so dry, he has to have a drink with all the... A man can have a drink in his own house, can't he? Isn't that what we were fighting for? 
and there's a bit of him under my fingernails and I'm washing my hands and I'm washing my hands and I'm washing my hands and Bolton comes over and he can see that I'm struggling and he brings this big bottle of water. I can't open the door in case the nightmares fly out. I can't open the door in case someone hears him. I can't open the door in case all the sand pours out and it makes this roadblock and no one can get to work and people sink in it and go under. I can't open the door because of all the blood. I keep on going. <laughs> it's okay, there's music in the show. You wouldn't clap then. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Serious, <laughs> traumatic. Um, <laughs> as I was saying, there's blood in that. Um, <laughs> we're, we're sort of safe in this glass house, just watching our faces pressed against the glass as you and you and you walk past. Because we're the snow globe in summer with a sand globe in winter, with a snow globe in summer, with a sand globe in this indeterminable winter. <laughs> okay, last poem from the piece. It's a short one. It's a response to Kipling's recessional, if you know that. You may know, remember a little. You might, you might hear the echoes of it. Okay, this is Bolton's party. It was after the inquest at the pub when we met Private Bolton's mum. We drank to wash away the blood and joked he'd wish that he had come. She grabbed your hand, don't go yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. She's rough as toast, but twice as nice. She told us Bolton's latest post. She heard him in the house at night and laughed to hear her lost son's ghost. She grabbed your hand, don't leave us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. Each year we're summoned to his house, it's like he's nipped out for a sig, a squaddy do pints, shots and scouse, in smoke we see the shape of him, it's almost like he's not gone yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. Happy birthday, Bolton lad. They ask you why you left. Cause the army sent me fucking mad, give it a fucking rest. I grab you round, we can't go yet. Lest we forget. Lest we forget. Three years on, the party's burr. Uncomfortable, we understand. I ask her if his ghost's still there. No love, she says with shaking hands. No monument to him, no parties anymore. When we forget, can we move on? Who's all this fighting for? Louise Fazakali, everybody, and she is hosting and she's curated the entire night. What, oh, get your pen, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, get your pen, why not? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's always good to have a pen on you, if, especially if you're a poet. 
I'm right, yes. So yes, uh, Louise is hosting on uh, Saturday and she's curated that night, so she selected all of those acts. So come back then to see more of what she does. Yes, right. Um, so our last performer, uh, she's not doing a show in Edinburgh, but you can follow her at Jackie Hay... Ha- at Jackie Hagen on uh, Twitter. And she's also doing a tour uh, that you should look out for called Some People Have Too Many Legs. Put your hands together, everyone, for Jackie Hagen! Cheers. Fucking hell, you're shouting, man. I'm way too long over for that. Yeah, I know. I'm in that special... What are you doing? You need to just do that thing. All right, boss sorry. Thank you. That was actually quite helpful, yeah, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheers for that. Thanks. Sorry. Yeah. Fucking hell, you're fit, aren't you? Uh, I didn't mean to say that. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. Hello. Oh, yeah. I'll put this behind me in case it collapse. Not from disability, just from fucking hangover. Uh, I'm in that special place between when you both hung over and pissed. Um, so, yeah, anyway, hello. My name's Jackie Hagen, as you just had screamed in your face. And um, you've probably noticed that where many you... Do you know what? I'm out of breath from going there to here. <laughs> Fucking Edinburgh. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, sorry. Yeah, as many, many of you, all of you, yeah, all four of you will have noticed that um, where many of you have got a, um, a tube of meat... Um, I've got a pillar of glitter, and that's because they um, they lopped my leg off two years almost to the day, according to Time Hop. And <laughs> <laughs> ho ho, Time Hop. Hey, no more puns. Fuck you, gone off you. Uh, <laughs> and when I was in hospital for fucking ages, and uh, when I left, they gave me a list of things to avoid, and one of them was falling over. I, um, it was like a boot camp, I was in for ages, I was in for like five months and I had a lot of realisations. I was shit at life before that. I couldn't put a duvet cover on without getting stuck inside. And, and I didn't learn how to do that, but I realised shit, like, right, my, if I put that on there, it's going to spill. If it does, I'll just cry, it'll be fine. Um, so my parents, right, when I was a kid, they took me to the set of Brookside, if anyone is too young, maybe Aries just fucked off, might have been too young, um, to remember Brookside, it was like a Scouse Coronation Street, but with more patios and lesbians. And my parents took me to it when I was dead little, I was made up. And then I found out recently that you can't even go to the set of Brookside. My parents had just taken me to a cul-de-sac <laughs> and pointed at it. And called it Brookside. Cunts, aren't they fucking cunts? Uh, other things that I realised when I was in hospital um, was, uh, one, no one looks like Kate Moss, including Kate Moss. <laughs> it's all right, so it's more sort of clever than funny, that one. <laughs> you can't, people are quiet when they're inspired, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> or absent. Um, two... <laughs> The fight for sexual equality is not between men and women. It's between people and dickheads. <laughs> Thanks. And three, the minimum fill line on a kettle is real. <laughs> I'm used to people sort of laughing at that for a bit longer. That's why I had that <laughs> bit of drink. Laugh longer, because then I get to drink more. 
Um, so yeah, so that wasn't the first time that I was in hospital. I spent my twenties in that psychiatric ward because um, I had quite a lot of fun in my twenties. And um, the, but it's okay. The last time I was there was that that seminal moment in British history when Jedward came into our lives. <laughs> And they were fucking everywhere. They're on telly, they're in magazines, and I was fucking nuts. And I thought that Jedward was a symptom of my psychosis. <laughs> I thought I'd made that shit up. But they don't make tablets to make Jedward go away, do they? <laughs> Fuckers. Um, right, yeah, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah, so three things started happening um, as soon as I had my leg off. One, everyone told me that I could be a Paralympian. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> I mate, and you could be an Olympian, couldn't you? Uh, again, that was sort of too, that was too clever to laugh at, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> and two um, of the three um, people kept asking me if it hurt to have your leg cut off. <laughs> right. So I used all my powers of like language and poetics to sum up the specific pain, and it's this. Right, you know when you stub your tongue? Well, fuck off. <laughs> uh, the third thing that um, happened... <laughs> the third thing that happened was... Um, what was the third thing? Oh, for ev everyone tells you. Everyone tells you that you're brave every five minutes. Just for anything, you know, just for, like, eating a Twix <laughs> or, like, going in the shop or fitting seven Freddos in your mouth. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that meant, but it was it was sexy, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> for the sake of the podcast, I just done something very sexy. Um, <laughs> and uh, brave, right? So it's 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 patronising, isn't it? It's sort of you know it's not seen as a good thing. It's this inspiration porn bullshit, and um, you know it's you're being told that you're brave just for continuing to exist. Like what you know? What's the alternative? It's offensive. However, I quite like compliments. So I think my position on the matter is, how dare you call me brave, but thanks for noticing I am rather, aren't I? <laughs> I um, I'm going to read you a text from my mum, which is... I was going to say it's not tragic, but actually fucking everything I say is, is miserable as soon, isn't it? Because the introduction to this is, it was my dad's birthday last week, which isn't quite the celebratory thing that it could be, because he's dead. Um, and this, I thought that wasn't tragic enough to say, oh, yeah, wherever, where's the guy with the dead dad? I know you have, but not you. The other one. Has he fucked off? Oh, is he? We should do a dead dad fist bump at the end of this. <laughs> Totally. Anyone with the dead dads, we should have a little fist bump and a cry here. Yeah, it would be so jolly about it. I love it. I once got a festival to... I was going, what's wrong with me, Dad? He's dead. Like that. He's dead. Like that. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. Little kids. He's dead. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. It's nothing to do with that. Hang on. I've been trying to sip this phrase, haven't I? Done. That. There you go. That's one thing off the things to do list. Um, so, yeah. Right, I'll already the fuck off now, sorry. Um, so, uh, someone asked me uh, before on Royal Mile while I was licking my phone, it's got fucking cheese on it, you dickhead. <laughs> what do you think? Um, so, <laughs> so, this is, anyway, right, so I texted my mum on my dad's birthday. Um, so, I was getting angry at you then because I was pissing about. Um, <laughs> I texted my mum just saying, like, I love you, I hope you're okay. Obviously, I was pissed. And uh, this is what my grieving mother replied. You know your Auntie Jan, 
has got a gastric band. Well, last week she caught a virus off the kids and got diarrhoea. And do you know where the poo came out? Dot. (laughs) Dot. Dot. Her mouth. lol uh, right so I've nearly finished if anyone's worries about time uh, or needs a wee like I do um, so or a poop um, so I oh fuck off backdrop <laughs> who do you think you are pissing about with me um, right yeah so I um, have got a very interesting looking stump I uh, love the word stump it's like onomatopoeia isn't it a eh? poetry uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, onomatopoeia. It's like as bodily words go, it's almost as fitting as vulva. Um vulva. Uh, <laughs> and so yeah, so I've got a very weird looking stump, even as stumps go, you know what I mean? The fucking weird. And um I've got a pom pom glued to me for no reason. Boom, I'm fucking curl. And um so it's I mean, it's describing these things, you've got to be sensitive, haven't you, because it's disability and all that shit. And um so what it looks like is you know the blondes when our birds with a feather? <laughs> well, it looks like her miserable gob. So, <laughs> that went down well, didn't it? <laughs> the fuck was wrong with that? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so what I thought, what, what am I going to do about that? Either hide it away for the rest of my life, because it doesn't go away when you have it off, or stick with it. For the purposes of the podcast, I just drew eyes on my stump and it was motherfucking inspiring <laughs> and really witty. Yes, yeah, so what I do with my life now is, um, although I haven't quite mastered that yet. Um, if you do that, works as well. Um, he has to deal with this in sex. I'll oh, just give himself away. Um, so what I do now, as I'll do both. Um, what I do now is that I honestly go around schools um, doing playing celebrity stumps, and we'll do it. I've, I've got like ten seconds left. Yeah. All right. So yeah, do you want to come up? Yeah, you come up and be the. You hold them up. I haven't got a prize for you, but I'll have a look in the bottom of my bag. I might have like not you. I might have like her um, used condom or something like that. Uh, you, you'll get a prize. You'll definitely get a fucking prize. Um, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So who's, who's this then? Almost, yeah. Come on. <laughs> Someone over here. Right, nine, eight. Yes, way. Go on, next one. Come on, easy. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Carrie, no, well, next one, next one. Who the fuck's that? What did you say? Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah, it's Clint Eastwood for fucking defo. Yeah, go on, next one. 
Right, you carry on, Eldness. I don't know, I can't see. <laughs> <laughs> David Bowie? Yeah, David Bowie, definitely. Yeah. It's David fucking Bowie. Yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. Right. Well, that was the climax of Kenzen, wasn't it? Uh, that's exactly what I was looking for in my tragic fucking life. Um, right, yeah, so I do a show called Some People Have Too Many Legs. I'm not doing it here because I'm not fucking mental, you know? Uh, or rather, I am, and I can't cope with this place. Um, but yeah, but I'm doing it around the country in like sheds and community centres and stuff like that. Just keep an eye out for it. Right, Shouty Man, are you going to come back? Yeah, I am. All right. Give a big hand for Shouty Man because he's doing a lot of work and he's not getting many hands. <laughs> Jackie Hagen, everybody. And for the benefits of the podcast, while we were all guessing uh, David Bowie, she was drinking uh, half a pint of uh, cider, yeah? Lager. Lager, lager out of a stump of her leg. So that was why it was impressive to us. But you didn't get to see it because you didn't come, you fools. Right. So, yeah. Oh, no, I love you really, listeners. Uh, yeah, I love you in the room more because uh, you did come. And so, yes, this is sort of the end of, of the tragedy now. Um, but one of the things that I would say to you is remind you that at the beginning I was talking about how we're here as part of the PBH Free Fringe, which means that, you know, we basically uh, I only get to break even in any possible way if people uh, give money. Uh, to the show and we didn't get a very big audience today so uh, if you do have some money that you can pass on to us we're not afraid or ashamed of paper money we will will hold it in our hands although it turns out that there's one pound notes up here so that's a good way to troll me and I'll get excited and later on I'll discover that it's not very much money but yes uh, the best way to pay us though is to spread the word about what we're doing here we had really big audiences for the first two weeks of the Fringe but now we're into five stars everyone only goes to the five star shows and we didn't get a review so please spread the word about what we're doing here. Um, if you can put a review on the Ed Fringe website, everyone seems to think that's important, so why not do that? Um, and yes, uh, thank you very much, everybody. Now the tragedy is over. And if you could take your glasses with you when you leave, people, because we only like tragedy on the stage, not in the seating areas. It's time to go.